Welcome to One Shot Church, where our goal is to create a place for you to believe and belong. We're so grateful that you tuned in to check out this message, and we'd love to meet you in person at one of our upcoming services at 10 a.m. Feel free to check out OneShotChurch.com for more info or to follow us on any of your social media platforms at OneShotChurch. Here's this week's message. Enjoy. Be obedient and be led. Those are scary words when you hand the microphone to a preacher. <laughs> That's real, right? I've learned that lesson when I'm trying to like do announcements and you hand it to a preacher. And you're like, here, can you just do the announcements for us, please? <laughs> Hour and a half later, after the third message. Come on. First of all, I just want to thank you guys for having us here. Um, it is such an honor for me to be here. You, uh, this is the most nervous I have been in years to speak because of being here at Rodney's uh, church. And he just means so much to me. Uh, he's been so encouraging to me throughout the process that we've gone through over the last uh, five years. Uh, and his, his friendship is, man, I just can't tell you how much you mean to me. So I am so grateful to be here. I just want you guys to know your worship team, I would drive three and a half hours every Sunday to hear y'all's worship team. Like, I, I, I know you may hear that some from the people that are here and from Rodney and Pastor Rodney, Pastor Shun and Shayla, but you guys are amazing and it is just like the gifting that is flowing up here, both musically and spiritually, is, uh, is unreal. And to have that already is, is just unbelievable to, unbelievable to me. I've, like, I've thought about planting a church, and I'm like, all right, can I just find one person who can play a guitar? <laughs> Man, if all you can do is play the bongos. I'm good. Just somebody who can give me a little bit of something so we can, so we can praise Jesus, you know? Um, so I'm going to run through just a couple quick things real quick before I get started. This is how I work. Um, I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal uh, household and church. And so the way that my dad worked and I learned from him, he was a church planter and then went into the Navy as a chaplain, which he, where he is still at today at the Pentagon here, um, is that as I'm preaching, if I don't get any interaction, meaning I don't hear an amen, a come on, I just stay there. Because what that means to me is I'm not communicating clearly and I need to re-communicate to you the point that I am on and I will just stay at that point until I see somebody nod their head, somebody give me something so that I know, she's like, I'm just gonna keep saying amen all day. We gonna get through this. We gonna get through this quick. But I, I appreciate you guys listening. Second thing is this, and of course it starts going all over the place. Throughout the Bible, God uses marriage as kind of his example of his relationship to his church. And so this morning, I'm going to be using our story, our marriage, as well as marriages in the Bible to kind of relate what big love means and how God's big love for us should reflect through us, flow through us to all the relationships in our life and the way that we interact with everybody around us on a daily basis. I think that one of the things that we forget every single day you know, the heavy love is, is something that we should be interacting. Every person that we see, they should be able to see that come through us. We should be a conduit, a vessel of God's heavy love to every single person that we talk to, that we meet, that we sit next to, whether it's at work or at school or at home when you're dealing with your kids. We should be vessels of God's heavy love. And so this morning, I'm going to be talking about God's heavy love and the commitment that is required when we show God's heavy love. You look around the world today and it is, it is just rife with uncommitment, right? Um, people are willing to drop marriages after three, four, five months just because they feel like they don't like the person anymore. And I, if, if you're in here and you're on your second, third, fourth, fifth marriage, please don't take this as condemnation. If you've never been married before, I hope that you hear this as encouragement. I hope this challenges you as you look towards marriage, as you look towards relationship, that you use God's love for us, his commitment for us as the set example. He sets the bar for us. And man, he sets it high. And I think sometimes we think, well, that's how God loves me. But you know, I'm human. I'm flesh. 
But what he's called us to do is be a reflection of that, to be a conduit of that. And so we should look to be Christ-like. We should look to have that same level of commitment in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships on a daily basis. And I think that we don't do that so often. And a part of it is I just don't think we think we can. We think because we are human, because we are flesh and we're blood, we think, man, we don't have that. And we forget that the same power that flowed through him, that raised him from the dead is in us, and that enables us to do things that we think are impossible, they're all become possible. And I, I'm going to be looking at my notes because this message that I'm about to give you guys is it's going to be emotional for me. Um, I've shared this once or twice before, uh, and our story is a story of God's love um, for us, it is a story of how God challenged me in my love and commitment to my wife. And so if, if I'm looking down and pausing, oftentimes it's going to be I'm just trying to catch my breath and allow God to keep me calm. One of the things that I've learned is I've, I mean, I grew up in the church, so it's cool. I love seeing Rodney's kids because I told him yesterday when we had dinner with he and Shayla, I grew up in church plants. So I remember these days, I remember showing up at elementary schools with my parents and it was my mom and my dad and me and my two sisters setting up the chairs, setting up, we had one speaker, we had like a keyboard that really just did hymns for a while. Um, so we had a revival and that went out the door. Um, I, I, I remember these days and they are so, so sweet. I look back, I sit down with my mom and my dad and we talk about uh, the church that we planted in Denver called Highlands New Life Fellowship. And we, it just brings tears to our eyes when we look back at how sweet those times were, how pure those times were. And then we look back and we see the way God has taken some of those people and exploded them all over the place. And they are now pastors, preachers, evangelists, prophets, and they're doing their thing. And God took this, this little church that we had, grew it, and then just literally spread it like seeds. And so I look and I see this and it just blows blows me away. But I understand that I can't really get up here and talk to you about love and commitment if I don't give you a clear definition of what love is. We can talk about heavy love all day long. We can talk about commitment all day long. But man, love can be defined in so many different ways. And our world really doesn't give us a definition of it. The love that our world shows us is really, man, it's fake. Oftentimes it's just like lust. It's nothing more than what I can get right now in a quick time, and it's temporary. And so I, I want to I ask you, what is love? Has anybody else been here from the 90s, man? Come on, I thought somebody would hum. <laughs> what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. For you youngins, that's Hathaway from back in the 90s. Um, that dates me real quick. So what is love? The correct question is not what is love, but it is who is love. And we forget that. We can't say what is love because there is no what, it is who is love. And if we're saying what, that means that we're setting something that is temporary, something that is here, something that is not abstract, something that is not greater than we can possibly imagine. We're going to try to define it and put it in a box. But God, you cannot put him in a box. And so you can't put his love in a box. You can't give it bounds. You can't give it measurements. I want to stop for just a second because my brother Rodney and I have the same heart, and I believe that every opportunity should be given for people to understand. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot possibly know God's love. And so as you hear this message today, if you're sitting there and you don't know him or you have, you've been searching for that thing, maybe you've backslidden, maybe you used to grow up in church, your mom and dad used to take you and you're gone and you've been looking for that thing. Maybe you're single and you think, man, marriage is it. Let me tell you right now as you're going to hear today, marriage ain't it. <laughs> that problem that you have now, that baggage that you've been carrying now, that baggage that that, that man or that woman has been carrying, when it comes into marriage, do you know what happens to it? It explodes, it grows, it just gets bigger. And you think you know everything about that person that you're marrying that day, and you say, I do, and then you get, you get home after your honeymoon, and you're like, where did all this baggage come from? My poor wife, man, she just got unloaded on after our honeymoon. We got home, and she was like, who are you? 
what happened to the guy that I, that I knew like two weeks ago? Where did he go? So if you're here today and you've been searching for that thing, I want you to know that that thing that you're looking for is Jesus Christ. That thing that you're looking for is God. That's what heavy love is. It's the thing that fills that void. It's the thing that fulfills us when nothing else can fulfill us. And if you're searching, you're chasing, and you're, you're looking for anything, and you're on you're drugs, alcohol, sex, it doesn't matter. It can be work. Maybe you're somebody who's just throwing yourself so into work and you're working 70, 80 hours a week because you're just trying to fill that time because when you sit at home, you feel alone. I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know that there is this Savior who can fill that hole for you and he can show you what heavy love means. And so as you hear our message today, as you hear our story today, I hope that it will impact you and you will see that there is a love that surpasses anything that you can possibly imagine that it could. And maybe you've had broken relationships with parents like I have. And you have a broken relationship with your dad. My dad and I, I, I went to the U.S. Naval Academy for two years. My dad, who is a naval officer now, he was as proud as he could possibly be. The day that I snuck out of the Naval Academy and drove home to Virginia Beach to tell him, hey, guess what, I'm leaving was not such a good day in the Scott household. And he and I did not talk for five years. And that affected the way that I saw God. Because this was my spiritual father, this was my natural father, and as far as I was concerned, he and God were all interconnected. And I want you to know that that's not the way that it works. God's love is perfect. God's love will heal you. God's love will fill you. And so I, I pray that if there is anybody here today that is struggling with that, that you will hear this message and you will just understand, man, God has got me. And that he will do the things for me that my natural friends, my natural family, my natural parents, my natural dad, my nat they can't do. It is impossible for them to fill that hole. It is only God who can. If it does touch you, please, as soon as this is over, Grab Pastor Rodney, grab Pastor Shun, grab Darius, grab myself. would love to pray for you. Like, I, will, I would love to lay hands on you and pray for you, pray with you, talk to you more about who he is. I don't want to ever miss that opportunity, and I know they don't either. So please, if you feel that prick, don't run. I know it's real easy when that happens, and all of a sudden you're looking for exits before the speaker ever stops. And it's like, all right, as soon as he quits and they go up and start the prayer, I'm gonna like ninja walk my way to the door so that before I have to look Pastor Rodney in the eye to say goodbye, I can just run. And by the time I get home, I can drown that conviction out. So please don't do that today. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you three things of what God's love is or who God is. I'm going to base them all on John 3.16. I know this verse is like cliche as it gets. Everybody's like, oh, I've heard that four billion times since I was three years old. My mom made me memorize it. I think it was the very first one. I think it's everybody's first verse that you're supposed to memorize. Maybe right after Jesus wept. <laughs> right? That's like, here, I'm going to give you an easy one. Then we'll do John 3.16. But it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I think if we really read this verse and stopped and meditated on it and prayed on it more, we would understand the impact that this verse should have every single time that we hear it. So God, love, is self-sacrificial, not self-beneficial. So, so often we are looking for that thing that benefits me. I'm looking for a love that benefits me. I, I know how it works when you're single and you're, you're a female. It's I'm looking for Boaz. I need me a Boaz. I need me a rescuer. I need somebody who's going to come in and pick me up and put me in a nice house and make me secure. And I want you to know that even if God provides you that Boaz, he can't fulfill the hole that God's love is required to fill. And if you rely on him, if you put your weight on him, you put your expectations on him, as you will hear from our stories, he will fail you. When you read God, when you read John 3:16, and you see that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. I can't comprehend that. I have one son, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him later. I can't fathom sacrificing that son. I can't. He did it. And it was not beneficial to him, it was beneficial 
to us. I think we forget, like, and I use that term a lot, but it's because we are, we are, we have memories that are like this short. We think our toddlers and kids have short memories. No, we have short memories. God is all powerful. When everything's screwed up, he could have just said, I'm done with this. I'm starting all over. Y'all screwed up. Poof. New world. And I think I figured it out this time. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to use plants. <laughs> They're just going to grow up, glorify me in the, in the looks. I'm not, I'm not putting people on this planet. He could have done that. It was for our benefit that he gave his son so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could have relationship with him, so that we could understand this heavy love. We did nothing for him. They did it for us. God's love is forgiving. That's a big one. That whosoever should believe in him would not perish. There was consequences for our sin, and God said, nope, I'm taking those consequences away. I'm forgiving you. I'm going to give you everlasting life. And the last one is that God, his love, is committed. Everlasting life. What that means is once you give your heart to Jesus, yeah, you may struggle. You're going to stumble. You're going to have some issues. You're going to sin. You're going to find days where you think, I am done. God, you just have not shown up. When I thought you were going to show up, I'm out. Guess what? He doesn't quit. He is waiting for you just like that father was for the prodigal son so that the moment that you turn and you reach back out to him, he is running to you. He is pursuing you with everything in him. He is committed. Now that we've defined what love is in a short, we could go, I could preach like eight series on that, and so could Pastor Rodney. We could go all day long on God's love and the cross. That's why I love Rodney. I'm going to talk a little bit briefly about commitment before I tell you my story. There are, I'm going to give you four definitions straight out of the dictionary first of what commitment is, and then I'm going to tell you which one we're going to use for today. Commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or an activity. It is a promise to give of yourself, your money, your time to support something. Dedicating yourself to something such as a person or a cause. But here is the one that you need to grab and hold on to right on your wall, right on your mirror so that you see it every day. Commitment means doing what you said you were going to do long after you feel like doing it. That means long after the emotion runs away, man, how easy is it to look into your beautiful bride's eyes or your handsome husband's eyes on your wedding day and say, I do till death do us part, sickness and health, richer for poor, your people going to be my people. And then if you, you know, had that traditional part in there where the wife looks at you, she's supposed to say, I think, submit or something like that, obey. My wife, my wife rolled her eyes, so I don't even remember that part. And they caught it on camera. That was the best part. It's easy to do on your wedding day. That's day one. You know, you go in 10 days in Tahiti after that. Right? Like, we about to be all-inclusive in Tahiti for 10 days. Marriage is good. It's when that richer for poor, sicker in health, angry, disappointed, when that starts to hit, when you start going through bankruptcy, when you start having issues, all of a sudden, it's real hard to let those feelings come in and take away those things, and it's easy to stop doing what you said you were going to do because you don't feel like it. My, my six-year-old son is the most perfect example. Son, I need you to go clean your room. I don't feel like it. I need you to do your chores. I don't feel like it. Well, if you don't feel like it, I'm going to make you feel something else. So you have two options. You can feel like it and go clean your room, or you won't feel like it, and you won't want to sit down for about three or four minutes. That's your choice. But we act like toddlers. We stop. We quit when we don't feel like doing it. We'll give you a quick rundown of what the world's way looks like. If you're single in here, listen to this. This is particularly for you. The world's way of finding that person, being committed. First, you find the right person. You have already failed. If, if you are using a checkbox system for who your next your spouse is going to be or who your boyfriend is, like, well, they checked all the boxes. Fail. You, you're done. 
Like, unless Jesus comes in and does some redemption, you are in trouble from day one. And that's what the world says. They're like, man, you go, you go find these. He's got to be wealthy. He's got to be secure. He's got to have his masters. He's got to have, he's got to be good looking. His family's got to be good. He better drive a nice ride. Maybe he already has his first house. Then I don't even have to go find one with him. Like, you just go down these check mark boxes and it's like, got it, got it, got it. Oh, good. We good. I'm going to lock that man down. Put a ring on it. Nope. No, man, you better be praying. Because I was li- I've gone back and listened to the la- all the messages for you guys. I love listening to what's going on up here. It's, it encourages me a lot, and it just excites me for what God's going to be doing. I, I cannot wait to see what God does with one shot. It's, it's, he's going to blow this place up. But I heard Rodney talking on, I, I don't remember if it was in the round table or singleness, and we talked about this last night. Like, he is not what Shayla would have drawn up, and Shayla is probably not what he would have drawn up for her. My wife is not what I would have drawn up for me, and I know I am not what she had as far as check boxes went. I caught her on the rebound and locked that down before she had a chance to realize what was going on. <laughs> Fact is right, like, yep, getting this ring right now. But, man, you better be on your knees because God will give you what you need, not what you want. And the world tells you to go get what you want, not necessarily what you need. The next step is finding the right person is make them fall in love with you. For women, that's, man, you got to dress up. For guys, that's, man, you better roll up in a nice car that first day. You better show up with a rose. You may be the most unromantic guy in the world, but I guarantee you, day one, you're going to be romantic. I am going to be Romeo for the next five to six months. And then once she got the ring, we good. Then I get to be Al Bundy, Homer Simpson. Women are like, heck. Mm. Number three is to plan your escape. Have plan B. My wife and I went to a wedding. Man, it's been 10 years, 12 years ago now, maybe longer than that. And I, this girl that we both knew, my wife was in a sorority. I was in fraternity. I knew this girl even before that. Went to her wedding, and she walks doing the rounds, you know, and you're, congratulations, so good. I knew this guy. He was a really solid guy. I said, congratulations, man, good. You got a good one. And she looked at me, and with a straight face, and she was not kidding, she said, He's good for the first one. On her wedding day. That girl already had an escape plan. Like, she had already figured out plan B, C, D, E, and F before plan A even failed. And if you go into that, guess what? Plan A is going to fail. You're already looking. You already got, when you got plan B, there is not going to be commitment because plan, plan B will always look better than plan A when plan A ain't working the way you wanted it to work. So find that escape plan. Remember, this is the world's way. This is, if you just walked in, this is not God. This is the world. And, and step five, if and when failure occurs, repeat steps one, two, three, and four as many times as you have to until you just happen to get lucky. It's like, man, I'm, I'm just going to keep, I got plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and I'm going to go down all these plans until may, one of two things happens. All these looks that I have right now when I'm 25, 26, 27, maybe 30, 35, 40, they start to fade, and then I'm just going to settle for whoever will take me. <laughs> it's real. It's a real thing. Like, I'm not lying. This is the world's plan. It's, man, there is no commitment. You are only committed as long as that person is benefiting you. And the moment that that person no longer benefits you, I'm out. And this goes not just in marriage. I want to make sure that we understand this is every relationship that the world has. Your friendships, you think they're your friend until they, f- they think, oh, that person doesn't benefit me anymore. So I'm, I'm done. It's how business works, right? It's got to be win-win. I have a master's degree in business management and information technologies. And everything through is, man, it's got to be win-win. It's got to be win-win. And the moment that it stops being win-win and one side is no longer winning, we dissolve this. And we roll. That's the world's way. God does not work like that. Thank God. His ways are not our ways. His, high, his ways are higher than our ways. We'll talk real quick. Man, time always flies. About God's commitment in the Bible. I love the Old Testament. 
Israelites, man, you go back and you just see God and his people and the way that he treated his people. Throughout all of the prophets, minors, and majors, this is the pattern. God loves his people. They rebel. They fail. He disciplines them. He says, come back to me. They run. God pursues them. They rebel. They get disciplined. He leaves them for somewhere for a while. He's there. I'm here for you. Come to me. Return to me. They come out. They think everything's good for a little while. They kind of head toward him. Then a shiny calf catches their eye, and they rebel. And here we go again. Over and over and over again. And the perfect picture of this is Hosea. I don't know if you've ever read Hosea. If you think your marriage is bad, go read Hosea. God tells this guy, I want you to go marry the whore. The town whore. Go marry her. It's like, what? Like, no, it, it, I want you to go marry her. Throughout the Hosea, she's referred to as a harlot. I, I can't even remember all the words that are in there. There's a whole bunch of them. But essentially, this, this chick's got a side man all over town. And she's never home. But Hosea has been told by God, I'm going to use your marriage as an example to my people so that they understand how faithful, how committed I am to them, how heavy my love is, that no matter how many times my people are harlots, no matter how many times they rebel, no matter how many times they run from me, no matter how many times they disobey me, I never stop being committed. My love never gets light. It stays deep, it stays wide, it stays heavy, and I'm going to be standing here every time that you come back with wide open arms, knowing good and well that at some point, you're going to run again. And so here's Hosea, this prophet, and this is what, he, this is what his marriage is. Watching his wife run from him, watching his wife go do these things again and again and again and again and again. And God uses him to show his people, this is who you are. But this is who I am. I am faithful. I am committed. I am unwavering. And unfortunately, we tend to find ourselves in the plot of his people far too often. Instead of reflecting and being that conduit for God's heavy love, we find ourselves running. We find ourselves not being committed. We find ourselves not being faithful. But God has called us to be like him. He has called us to strive to be Christ-like. He wants more from us. Guys, when Jesus came into the New Testament, he didn't like just give us excuse and grace. We like to take license with his grace. I can always ask for forgiveness. Tomorrow is another day. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for what I'm about to do. No, what Jesus did is he raised the bar for us. He expects us to meet the bar, to exceed the bar, to run for the bar during our life. So this next part is going to be hard for me. Whew. Always. The story of our marriage is complicated. <laughs> That's not new. If you've married, you know your marriage is probably complicated too. Um, and it is not that my marriage is some extra spectacular thing. I think many people have probably gone through and been through what we've been through. For me, it was a challenge by God that made what happened to us different and called to me to use our story to make a difference in other people and to show what God can do and show what God can be through us on this, on this earth. But it doesn't make it any easier. So I'm gonna give you a quick background before I read. Our marriage was not good from the get-go. When I tell you when we got back from our honeymoon, it went downhill, it went downhill fast. I mean quick. We, uh, we rushed into marriage, eh? Married, I, I met my wife eight weeks later. Somewhere in there, we were engaged. Six months later, we were married. And we were young. She was turning 21. I was turning 22. Woo, we were dumb. <laughs> 
And while both of us were Christians, her dad is a pastor, my dad is a chaplain, had been a pastor and planted churches, neither one of us was really right. Neither one of us had prepared our hearts to have a spouse, to care for a spouse, to be ready for that. Both of us were hurting, both of us had been traumatized, both of us had a lot of things going on, and instead of preparing ourselves before we went out and get, got married, I saw her as my fix, I saw her as my rescuer, she saw me in the same way. And so it went downhill quick, and over the next 10 years, we went through bankruptcy, moved to Atlanta to help start a business, economy dropped, lost my job, had to leave a house that we had, beautiful house that we had bought and I had renovated completely, had to leave it and come back to Virginia to move in with my in-laws. <laughs> They're probably gonna listen to this. I love my in-laws. I love them. Um, if you guys, some of you guys who've uh, may have heard Pastor Carl Sly or know Pastor Ben Sly, I love those guys. But anytime that you are a man and you have to step into somebody else's household and submit to them. Ooh, that's hard. That's real hard. And so we had some rough times watching our house go under. It, it just was one thing after another. And so there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain. I sucked as a husband. Maybe I'm not supposed to use that word in church, but that really, that it is much worse than that, but I'll just leave it there. I was not good as a husband. I did not care for my wife. I put her in bad positions all the time. And so there's just this, this wall began to build for both of us for a long time. So this is where we find ourselves. June 29th, 2014, I had just preached a message. I was the associate pastor of our church in Harrisonburg. I walk off the stage, and a young man who I knew well, I had ministered to this kid for a couple of years. I, actually, his mom passed away. I was in the room with him. I'm the one that walked in with him and literally physically held him up when they pulled the plug on his mom, and she died while he wept. Knew him well, but I really had a heart for him. And he walked up to me, said, hey, I need to talk to you pulled me into a room. There's my father-in-law, there's his dad, my dad who was visiting from Hawaii, sitting there and they're all looking at me like, what's going on? And I got no idea, like, no clue. He says, hey, can you sit down? Okay. He began to recount to me in detail the long-term affair that he had been having with my wife. If you're a man, and you have thought about this, there is no doubt in my mind that at some point or another you've thought, if that ever happens, I'm killing that dude. And I had thought it. I had expressed it verbally, watching all those Hallmark shows with my wife. Hey, if you ever do that, that dude, we going in the woods. And then I'm gonna kill myself because I don't wanna go to prison. I do not belong in prison. So I'm gonna take him out and then I'm, I'm gonna go kill myself. And this had run through my head a thousand times. Any time that I would see infidelity in a marriage and I thought about it in my own, that is where I was at. And I thought if I ever see that, if someone can ever tell me this has happened, I'm going after that dude. And here I find myself sitting across the table from a kid that I had given my heart to, I had given my life to in ministry, that I had cared for, had wanted to disciple. I had defended him against his parents because he was in a, in a weed really bad, and they were trying to kick him out all the time. And I would go over and talk to him and be like, man, you got to love him through this. you got to care for him through this. Don't kick him out of the house. And now he's sitting across from me telling me what had been going on. I can't express to you the pain, the hurt, the shock, the emotion. It shook me to the core that quick. But what I can tell you in that instant 
that very instant Satan had planned my demise. He had come for me. He had come for my marriage. He had come for my family. He had come for my ministry. And there is no doubt in my mind that he was sitting there watching somewhat gratified, waiting for my response. Y'all, I am a card-carrying member of the concealed weapons permit people in the state of Virginia. I carry my gun everywhere I go, even in church. And I had it. And it was loaded, and it was chambered, and it was ready. But it didn't happen. Something else happened, and that was God's heavy love. The Holy Spirit literally took me over in that instant in a way that I can't even describe to you, explain to you. It is impossible for me to get across to you when you are literally standing or sitting two feet from a young man who is telling you, trying to tell you in detail the things that he has done with your wife. And I got up, and all the dads started to close in. And I walked around the table, and I hugged him. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, I forgive you. And I walked out. Now I went into the sanctuary, and I broke down. I broke down. I was angry. I was hurt. I had enough wherewithal to tell my dad, take the gun and hide it. Because I knew that while the Holy Spirit was with me then, in the days coming, the flesh would take over, and I probably would go find that kid. But the Holy Spirit in that moment, God's love in that moment encased me, overwhelmed me. I didn't know what to do. I was not me. Because me, Chris, flesh, the angry man that my wife had known for 10 years, 11 years to that point, would have beat the crap out of that kid, and they couldn't have pulled me off. I could have shot him blank range and not felt bad about it in that moment if you had known me. And there was people who would have said, guess what? You're justified. I could have gone to court and said, I went temporary, insane. This was a crime of passion. The dude just told me all these things. I didn't know what I was doing. I blocked out. I shot him. He's dead. Sorry. And probably if that jury had more than five guys on it, I would have been good. But God had bigger plans. Because had I done any of that, then Satan, sitting there with a grin of gratification, watching from the corner, would have won. I confronted my wife in the next hours of our lives, as she will tell you, were filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I grabbed my surfboard. I'm a surfer. Some of you guys saw the videos of uh, Rodney's kids surfing. That was one of the joys of my life, was teaching those, getting those little boys out on surfboards. That was so much fun. I grabbed it, grabbed my Suburban, and headed to the place that I go to when I need to find God, and that's the beach. Drove down to Virginia Beach, probably going way too fast the entire way. Called a couple of my friends and said, I need to talk to you now. I need, I need you now. And so I stopped by my best friend, friend's house where I was met by my friends Eric and Dave. And they just gave me a shoulder to cry on. They didn't say a word. They just grabbed me and held me and let me weep. I soon found myself sitting at the beach, 3 a.m. I'm pretty sure there's some people who think I was crazy because I was yelling at God. I, I understand David because I was angry and I was screaming at God at 3 o'clock in the morning from the beach. I don't know how the police did not show up. And just yelling at my father, how could you let this happen? I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a, I was a singles minister. I was a youth minister. I was leading worship. How could you let this happen to me? I'm your son. And we talked for a long time. And after cursing and crying and asking questions, that even if he answered, guys, you, don't, you would never understand. Even if God gave you the answer in those moments, you could never comprehend what it really meant.
I got to the point where there were no more tears and yelling at God until I didn't have a voice. Sorry, guys. And in that moment, he answered me. But he didn't answer me with some easy answer. He didn't give me some plan. He asked me questions. And he said, son, have you not preached forgiveness 70 times 7? Have you not preached that there is nothing impossible with me? Have you not preached that there is nothing, not even murder, that I will not only forgive, but will forgive and move as far as the east is from the west? Have you not preached about how deep, how wide, how heavy, and how powerful my love is? Have I not forgiven you and loved you when you rebelled against me? And the next two questions were what pierced me. Does this same love, compassion, and spirit not live inside of you? And it was like there was a dramatic pause for effect. It's like, it's like you were a spoken word and the person is looking at you in the eye and they just stop for a minute. He just let it marinate, challenging me in that moment. And I'm sitting here still angry and he's, he's asking me these questions that are all, yes, God. Yes, I have preached this. Yes, I have taught this. Yes, I have stood confidently, arrogantly at times and told people, no matter what you're going through, 70 times 7, you need to forgive your family member. You need to forgive your spouse. You need to forgive those people around you. Because I had never experienced anything that would require it. And after that pause, he said, what will you do? And it was like the rubber had met the road. I had been through junk with my dad. We had been through a lot of things, but I had never been through anything that fully tested my faith, that fully put my faith into question. All these messages that I had saved on my computer, God was saying, you've been preaching. You've been walking around like you anointed and holy, and you've been praying for people. What are you going to do? He was simply reminding me of his commitment to me and his son and the commitment that I had made before my family, before a church, and most importantly before him to my wife. The day that I said, till death do us part. We take that vow so lightly. We take those promises so lightly, but he doesn't. Because when he gives us his word, he means it. When he says, I love you with a deep, with a heavy love, it means no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you say about me, no matter how many times you rebel against me, no matter how many times you curse me, I'm still going to stand here and love you. The truth is, if you had known me, you would have expected me to run. My friends, when I showed back up at the house about 7 a.m. the next morning, I had coffee in my hand, I walked in, they both had that look. You could tell they had been there crying all night long. You could tell they had been going through the plan of, okay, which room is Chris going to stay in? We're going to have to try to find him a job. Then we got to figure out, man, they got kids, what are we going to do? You could see it on their faces. And so when I walked in and Dave and Eric looked at me and I said, I know what I'm going to do. They both just, they didn't want to say what they were thinking. And I said, I got to stay. We got to fix this. They just literally collapsed. Because they saw right before them a transition, a transformation in a matter of moments that God had done in me by reminding me of what his love looked like. Reminding me it wasn't my love that flowed towards my wife. I was supposed to be a reflection. I was supposed to be that conduit. I was supposed to be that vessel of his love to her. And there's no way that I could possibly stand before God at some point in my life when my life was over and him look at me and go, were you faithful? I couldn't have said yes because I would have run. 
And I want to go back. I want you guys to know that if you're divorced, if that something like that has happened to you, this is not meant to be condemnation. Because I understand that the challenge that God made to me was me in that moment. But I do want you to understand as you move forward with your life that there is a love, a greater love that is available to you that will allow you to walk through things that oftentimes we don't believe we can walk through. And I have friends who've been married two and three and four times, and it is not until they grasp the depth and heaviness of God's love that they fully understand, I'm going to stay married because I understand of the commitment that God has made to me with his love. Commitment, as God has so lovingly showed, is choosing to stay the course when all I wanted to do was quit. And let me tell you, after five and a half years, guys, it's still hard. We were in our counselor's office, man, just a couple of days ago, weeping because God is still working on us. He's still healing us. This is not some happily ever after thing. It is still a work in progress. God is still working on my heart. He is still working on her heart. He is still healing us. But what I will tell you is this. We are better today than we ever were before, even with the hurt and the pain, because we both understand and grasp what God's love means now. And so in those moments where we're angry, those moments where I start to think about those things, those triggers that get me, and I start to go back to that time, it's God's love that comes in. This type of commitment is only possible through God's strength and God's love. And that's why earlier I was telling you, if you don't know him or if you're, you're, you're running from him or if you're separated from him right now, everything that I'm talking about is literally impossible for you. You can't do it without him. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit implanted and living in your heart because you don't have the power to do it on your own. I sure did not. I returned the next day, I drove back to my wife, and I said, I'm still all in. If you will resolve to the same level of commitment that God has challenged me with, we'll reconcile this. We'll allow God to heal this. I am so beyond grateful that she was willing to look me in the eye and make that same commitment. Because even then for her, it would have been much easier for her just to say, you know what, I think it's best if we part ways. I don't, this is going to be a long, hard, painful road, and I don't know that I want to go down that. And she chose to make that same commitment. We had drifted apart for years, and as the head of our house, the priest of our home, I had left the door wide open for Satan. And I had conversations with that young man. I'm about to give my wife the opportunity if she wants to come up. She is, my wife does not speak in public like at all. It could be one person sitting in here right now and she would be nervous as it gets. So I'm, gonna, I'm about to call her up and let her talk to you a little bit before I close it out. But I want you to know, I called this young man because I had, I had a relationship with him. And I just, I just had to know, why? Why would you do that to me? I know there's accidents. I know there's one-night stands. I know we put ourselves in bad positions sometimes. But, dude, why did you do that to me? After all the love and care and ministry that I showed you, how could you do that to me? And stone cold across that phone. He said, because I wanted to see you crumble. And I wanted to show the world what hypocrites you guys are. And it was like hearing Satan on the other end of that phone. This was not some accident. This was intentional. He saw an opening. Satan saw an opening. He had seen where we were in our marriage. And Satan went, I know there is opportunity. And I'm going to take it. And so he brought this young man into our life allowed me to minister to him, to care for him, share the gospel with him, share God's love with him over and over and over and over again. And he just waited for his shot. Let me tell you, when you hear that, 
when you hear that someone literally wanted to destroy you, and it comes from a human voice, it's just different than actually thinking about, I know Satan's out there to kill, steal, and destroy. We say that, right? You hear from pastors all the time. He's out here to kill, steal, and destroy. God's out here to, to give life. No, when you hear someone tell you they wanted to destroy you because they wanted to show who you really were, because he knew. He had seen the angry me. He had seen the sides of me that would have been violent in that moment and would not have had any care in the world or had any remorse for it. He had seen it. Satan knew. But God's heavy love came in like a blanket that day. And it has continued to cover us. Guys, like, I want to reiterate and reiterate and reiterate. This ain't easy. It wasn't easy on the way up here. We were re-listening to this message because I preached this a couple years ago. And I, we were both in tears as we listened because we're like, man, it's still hard. It's still not easy. I still have to get up every day and, and forgive her intentionally. My hand is to my wife for a couple minutes. Please give her a hand. You ought to know the courage that this takes for her. Whew. That's heavy, isn't it? <laughs> so this is hard for me to hear every time um, that we talk about our story. First time I've shared my experiences publicly. So um, thank you for allowing me to do this. Um, but I wanted to share briefly about how what God what was really meant for evil, God can make good. Um, Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for the, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And um, Satan has been on a mission to destroy me since I was a little girl. I've experienced trauma in every stage of my life, as a child, in college, in my marriage, um, and I won't go into any details, but I felt rejection throughout all points in my life. Um, and in lots of different ways. And at this point in our marriage, I was in such a low and dark place. Um, I was in a major battle of feeling alone, rejected, and unloved. And I made these horrible choices just to feel this acceptance um, when I should have sought out my Father in heaven to speak the truth to myself about my value and purpose. But because of this choice I made to be unfaithful in my marriage, it caused me to really dig deeper into my heart for, for, heal, for healing and forgiveness for myself. We went in, well, specifically me, went into several years of intense counseling um, to really discover who I am my core values and my purpose in order to find this healing and wholeness. And it forced me to dive deep. And it has been messy, hard, raw, and vulnerable. But I am now at a place where I am securing myself and who God created me to be. I'm at a place where I feel acceptance by my Lord and Savior. And I'm not seeking this for man any longer. And I've had the chance to truly experience God love, God's love in tangible ways. So when I became a mom, um, just like Chris had mentioned earlier, there's like nothing you would not do for your kids. You just love them so much. And so that's one way that I was able to really understand God's love for me is my love for my children. There's, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. Um, there's nothing that they could do to make me change my love for them. Um, so that is what God's, look, loves look, God's love looks like. But going through this in my marriage is when I was able to experience the love of Jesus by a man. When I was unlovable and felt unforgivable, my husband showed me love and forgiveness. When I felt shame, my husband showed me grace and compassion. When I felt worthless, he showed me my value 
So if any of y'all ladies in here are single, <laughs> find you a Chris. <laughs> There's, there are some good ones out there. I really hope that you can find a man like that. And I hope that you can experience God's perfect love, grace, acceptance, and forgiveness, no matter what you have done or are going through right now, because he loves you so much. He sees you in your low and dark places. He will be with you to turn those evil things into good. And I can't guarantee that it will be easy, because it was messy and hard for me. Um, and it's hard as junk. <laughs> but if you let him walk with you through it, it will be so good and beautiful on the other side. I give you, I give God all the glory to give me the strength and to give us the strength and perseverance to keep going. Um, and it's only because of the blood of Jesus that we are here today to share our story of commitment and God's love and overcoming. Revelations 12, 11 tells us that we are gonna overcome Satan by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That is what rolls through me every time that I share this with someone. See, I understand all the hurt, all the pain that we go through, continue to go through, but most importantly have been through. God wants to use that in a powerful way because he didn't allow us to go through it without using it for his glory and his honor. And when we use our testimony like we are able to use this, and you guys, I hope you grasp after we're done with this, this isn't some romantic, hallmark love story. This is the story of God's heavy, deep, wide, unfathomable love for you. And when you grasp it, see the thing is, my wife had not grasped God's love for her. She did not understand it. She did not have it deep inside of her. And so her value was based upon the way that I treated her. And when I wasn't treating my wife well, she doubted her value. And so it left a door open for Satan. And now that we've walked this out, it's not my love for my wife that gives her all those things that she was just telling you. It is God's love that is going through me and is reflecting off of me to her so that when, when I hug her, when I kiss her, when I tell her I love her, when, we were in the middle, when we're in the middle of a knockdown, drag out fight, and we are looking at each other and we're like, this isn't worth it. We've been through worse. That's God's love that she feels. And it's my job as her husband to make sure that she feels God's heavy love. I need to surround her with that. But it's not just my wife. Guys, we have friends. We have family. It's crazy. So I was telling Rodney this as I came in this morning. My messages, it's insane how God does this. Every, God speaks to everybody in a different way. He wakes me up in the middle of the night through dreams. And I literally will wake up having dreamt myself. I've dreamt this. Like, saw myself here with you guys. Preaching. And so he will wake me up. I went to bed at 9 o'clock last night after a really good dinner and some really good fellowship. I was like, I'm out. 1.30 a.m. I was like, and God is just speaking. So I grabbed my laptop, ran into the hotel bathroom so that I didn't wake my wife up. And I'm in there like with the light on just typing away. And as I'm typing this and it's changing some things in here and God is speaking to me, he hit me over the head with a baseball bat. Because I have a sister I have not spoken to in three and a half years. And God said, you're sitting here talking about heavy love. You're sitting here talking about this love that forgives, this love that pursues, this love that overwhelms, and that you're talking about this love that you have for wife. But what about your sister? And I just cried. And I'm like, yeah, but she's, yeah. But Lord, that's Amanda. She's special. I, like, don't I get a pass on that one, Lord? Like, isn't she, like, you know, an exception? And he said, no. 
you are supposed to show her the same love. She should see me through you, son. There should never be in a time in her life when she interacts with you, and it doesn't matter how nasty she gets, how ugly she gets, it doesn't matter the things that she says to you or how hateful she is to you. The last time I saw my sister was Thanksgiving three plus, three plus years ago. I walked up to give her a hug. I told her I loved her, and she turned her head the other way and walked off. And I said, I'm done. And so last night, after God got done giving me words, then he gave me more words to write her a letter to send to her, to ask her for forgiveness for the things that I know I've done to her that have caused hurt and pain and trauma. Because, guys, this isn't just about husband, wife. This is about everyone that you interact with. When they get done talking to you, they should think, man, where is that coming from? When you, if you're leading a small group, and you're sitting down with somebody who's going through pain, it should be God's love that's flowing through you that just envelops them in that moment. Maybe you got a son or a daughter that's just a punk. I got one. Three. I got a 13 and 11-year-old daughter, y'all, let me tell you. Oh, Lord. No, they need to hear that. They need to understand that. I have to show them that same deep love. Even when my daughter is rolling her eyes at me and giving me attitude and I want to smack her. I'm supposed to show her love and patience and grace in that moment. I'm supposed to understand that that 13-year-old girl, she doesn't know what in the world is going on in her mind and body right now. And even though I want to choke it out of her, what I'm supposed to do is hug it out of her. What I'm supposed to do is lovingly instruct her instead of yelling at her. And when my six-year-old son does something stupid, because that's what boys do. Girls give attitude, boys are just stupid. I'm supposed to love on him. I'm supposed to show that same love to him on a daily basis. Maybe you got a boss or a coworker that just irritates the, man, he, they irritate Jesus out of you. You leave every day thinking, I just lost my religion. And if I go back tomorrow, whoo, not sure which spirit's going to show up. That's the person that God has called you the most to show that heavy love to. That's the one that you're supposed to show that stuff to. That's the one you're supposed to be self-sacrificial. You shouldn't expect anything from them in return. You should just love and love and love. See, that's what we've learned. That's what I've learned about my wife, is it doesn't matter what she does for me in return, I'm supposed to love her unconditionally all the time, no matter what. And there are going to be times when she is dry, when she is hurting, when she is struggling, because that's just life. There's going to be times when other things are affecting her, and she's not giving me back anything. She's not returning anything. And you know what I'm supposed to do? Keep loving her anyway. That's the way that it works. That is heavy love. That is God's love. I want to pray for you guys today, and then I'll let Rod, Rodney close this out. Lord, I pray right now that if there are people in here hurting, if they've had trauma, if they've, if they've had offenses, and they've been withholding your love from individuals because they've thought, I'm not getting anything from them, they're not returning anything to me, what they're giving me is hate, what they're giving me is anger. Lord, right now I pray for their hearts that you would fill them up in a way that it overflows with this heavy love, that overflows with this sacrificial love, that overflows with this commitment to this person, that I'm going to love them out of that spot. And I'm going to show them your love, God. So, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would fall on the people in here today and that if their heart is in need of that, Lord, that you would give it to them. Lord, I pray that this, this testimony that gives nothing but glory and honor to you because you're the one who's done the work in me. You're the one who's done the work in my life, my wife. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor, but I pray, Lord, that that glory would shine and have effect. And lastly, Lord, I pray for anyone in here who does not know you, who has never experienced this kind of love. Lord, I pray right now that they would make the choice 
that they would hear and feel your voice and hear, feel your touch pricking them right now, Lord, and they would make the choice to meet you. They would make the choice to have that relationship with you and experience your heavy love, Lord. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for the worship today, Lord. I, I, Lord, I thank you for my brother, Pastor Rodney. I, I, I thank you for Shun and Shayla, Lord. I, I am just overwhelmed with the relationships that you have surrounded me with in my life. We pray for One Shot Church today. I cannot wait to see what you do with these people, Lord, because they are a passionate and they love people, Lord, and I know what, you're, what that means. Lord, we lift you up today and we say thank you for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.